The Window on the World, an international press review by the European Democratic Party, bringing you weekly news and commentaries that matter. Welcome to the first episode of The Window on the World. In this podcast, you'll find the latest updates from Ukraine, developments in the presidential campaign in France, management of the COVID-19 pandemic in Belgium and Austria, as well as the fate of the far-right AFD party in Germany. Of course, you'll also find the best related editorials and opinion articles related to the International Women's Day, as well as welcoming refugees fleeing the war in Ukraine. But before we get into it, let's start with the most important news of the week. So let's start with the most burning topic, which is an update on the conflict in Ukraine. On Thursday morning, the foreign ministers of Russia and Ukraine met in Ankara for the first time since the military conflict began. And one of the items on the agenda was a potential ceasefire. After an hour and a half of negotiations, the meeting ended in a deadlock. Meanwhile, Russia withdrew from the Council of Europe, which is the main organization for defending human rights, democracy and the rule of law. It was reported on Wednesday that the Russian Air Force had bombed the children's hospital in Mariupol. Apart from the Russian-Ukrainian war, there is also a lot of talk in France about the presidential election campaign. With the first round of the elections looming, this week President Emmanuel Macron formally announced his candidacy. The dramatic events in Ukraine and the resulting geopolitical instability seem to be playing in the president's favor. Macron has indeed taken the lead in the polls, and while the other presidential candidates are calling for a public debate on television, for now Macron is declining any kind of public confrontation before the first round. Also, in France, on the occasion of International Women's Day, eight women accused the far-right presidential candidate and politician Eric Zemmour of sexual harassment. The investigative media, called Mediapart, published a video in which the women claim that Zemmour has kissed them or touched them against their will. All the events described in the video would have taken place between 1999 and 2019 during Zemmour's journalistic career. However, none of the women interviewed by Mediapart filed a complaint. Consequently, no legal proceedings exist at present. And across Europe, the COVID-19 pandemic is easing. The Belgian Prime Minister, Alexander de Croix, has announced that the most of the security measures put in place in the country during the pandemic will be lifted as of next Monday. However, the Belgian newspaper, Le Soir, headlined coronavirus, end of a crisis without a party. Despite the end of restrictions, the spirit is certainly not festive due to the Ukrainian crisis. At the same time, Austria decided to suspend compulsory vaccination against coronavirus. On the basis of a report drawn by an expert committee, the government stated that the compulsory vaccination is currently not a proportionate measure to the impact of the prevalent Omicron variant. And one of the most important news items of the week comes from Germany and concerns the far-right party AfD or AfD Alternative for Germany. 
A court in Cologne stated that the German Domestic Intelligence Service has the right to monitor the AFD as part of its mandate to monitor political extremism. The AFD is the most right-wing party in the German parliament, and in 2021 it was classified as a suspicious entity by the Office for the Protection of the Constitution. Last year, however, the AFD lodged an appeal and described the act of the Office for the Protection of the Constitution as politically motivated. Um, this is the first time since the Second World War that a party of this prominence in the public debate has been identified as a suspicious entity. Besides being widely represented in the German parliament, the AFD also sits in the European parliament as well as in several regional parliaments. And now let's dig in into some op-eds and commentaries. The first in-depth feature of The Window on the World is dedicated to the best editorials related to International Women's Day on March 8, 2022. When was the last time you consciously adopted one behavior rather than another while standing at a bus stop or walking home? Is the question which Helena Kennedy's article in the Financial Times begins with. Kennedy goes on, if you're a man, you may find this question difficult to answer. If you're a woman, you can probably cite an example from this week, last week, and the week before. Kennedy, chair of the Scottish Misogyny and Justice Working Group, explains that a law that recognizes as crimes behaviors such as fomenting hatred of women, misogynistic harassment in public, and threatening or advocating rape, whether this happens online or offline, is vital for the legal protection of women and to ensure that those who commit these crimes are prosecuted by law. In Spain, on the other hand, on the pages of El Diario, Ines Hernand talks about the importance of sex education to deal with the world of social networks and to fight digital misogyny. Hernand writes, in one way or another we are objectified. If you're smart, you suffer paternalism. If you belong to a minority, racism. If you're 60, you're left on the margins while your male peers are praised. Hernand goes, on in talking about the interactions that take place on social networks and the comments that are often made by users to women. And she adds, and all this is saved on Zuckerberg's servers. With the influence of social networks having our society, Hernan says, there is a risk of normalizing behavior that should be anything but normal. This is why there is a need for sex education in the use of social networks, particularly for young people. Finally, in Italy, the theme of the centrality of women in our societies was also linked to the close current events and therefore to the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. The war tramples on all rights and all human beings. It is unleashed by a few men and passes over men, women, children, the elderly. Today, more than ever, war in the hands of unscrupulous, super-armed dictators such as Putin can lead to the end of the planet, writes Linda Laura Sabadini, central director of Istat in La Repubblica. Her article is titled, Women Builders of Peace. Sabadini recalls how women are a great resource in preventing wars, with their ability to weave networks, break down walls, and build bridges. They are a great resource for dialogue. 
how much Angela Merkel is missing at the moment. They are fundamental in rebuilding after a disaster. They are crucial in the processes of integrating refugees because they represent the majority of them with their children. At the same time, there are many women on this planet who fight for the rights denied in the world, such as Afghan women and now Russian women. The latter are imprisoned if they take the streets. According to Sabadini, democracy is also a necessary condition, although not a sufficient one, to achieve women's freedom. Sabadini's piece gives us the opportunity to move on to the second focus of today, namely the management of refugees leaving Ukraine. According to the UN, more than 2 million people have already left the eastern country. And we start again from Italy, but this time from the pages of the Corriere della Sera. What is about to arrive from Ukraine is likely to prove a far more overwhelming wave than previous ones. In one week, more refugees have crossed the EU's borders than in all of 2015, and this is probably just the beginning, write Christian Dustman and Ian Preston. Dustman and Preston list a number of measures that need to be implemented for the EU not to be found unprepared and to enable the integration of those fleeing war. First of all, we must aim to integrate refugees immediately into social and economic structures, which means that people must be involved in the labor market. Lengthy and complicated asylum procedures and exclusion from the labor market have been identified in the main factors inhibiting the social and economic integration of refugees. The migration crisis is a huge challenge for Europe, but at the same time, it presents an opportunity to overcome political differences and show strength and solidarity in the face of a huge tragedy. Ilya Somin is of the same opinion, and in the New York Times, she lists the steps the U.S. government should take to play a positive role in this matter. According to Somin, helping Ukrainian refugees as well as those fleeing Putin's Russia is both an opportunity for the U.S. economy and a detriment to the Russian president. Russian migration can help drain Russia's of important mines, thus depriving Putin's war machine of the technical and scientific expertise it relies on. These people could instead help expand American economic and scientific growth, Salman suggests. But not only those with scientific knowledge should be welcome. Immigrants with any background can make a significant contribution to the economy. Opening the doors to Russian immigrants would also be a way to show Putin's fellow citizens that the U.S. does not consider them to be enemies, contrary to the Russian president's propaganda. Helping migrants is also the theme of the article by Janusz Lenarczyk and Thomas Tobe, respectively the European Commissioner for Crisis Management and Chairman of the European Parliament Development Committee. On EU Observer, Lenarchich and Tobia recall the efforts made so far by the European Union, which facilitates the delivery of sanitary, hygiene and protective materials. We are also funding our humanitarian partners with 90 million euros. The United Nations and the Red Cross, as well as other NGOs, engaged on the ground in Ukraine and Moldova, the authors write. Moreover, it was only a few days ago that the announcement on the allocation of another 500 million euros to deal with the consequences of the war was made. 
This is what Europe does in a time of crisis. It shows solidarity, will help each other and pool resources for a common goal, the commissioner and the MEP emphasize. Finally, the European humanitarian response is also the subject of a piece signed by the editorial staff of the Belgian newspaper Le Soir. For the first time at the European level, the Directive on the Temporary Protection of Displaced Persons has been activated, reads the article. The Directive provides a temporary status of protection for Ukrainians and their families. Yet, not all displaced persons can take advantage of the measure. Persons of Ukrainian passport who reside legally in the Eastern European country and who, at the same time, cannot return to their state or region of origin in safe conditions are not automatically protected by the directive. Furthermore, the article emphasizes that although the solidarity shown by private European citizens in this emergency is extraordinary, it is still the responsibility of the governments to receive refugees. The majority of the latter are women and children and will be in further need of material and psychological support. And we are at the end of the first episode of The Window on the World. Before we say goodbye, a little update. A two-day informal meeting of European heads of the state is underway in Versailles, France. The meeting was meant to be the high point of the French presidency of the European Council, but in the light of the war in Ukraine, the meeting is all about security and energy concerns of the EU. We will discuss this next week in the second episode of The Window on the World. Until next time, take care. Goodbye.